0: Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Hensley-McBain. Today's episode is part of an ongoing series on addressing misunderstandings and applying HPV treatment guidelines. This series features brief conversations between a physician and a patient in which they discuss ways to collaborate in care and reach shared decisions, often describing their own experiences. In this episode, Dr. Jeffrey Dusheko from the University College London School of Medicine and King's College Hospital has a conversation with his patient, Mark, who presented with hepatitis B after receiving immunomodulatory treatment for rheumatoid arthritis. For more information about Dr. DeShako and for a link to additional online education on this topic and more, please visit the link in the show notes. So hello, Dr. DeShako and Mark. Thank you for joining me today. I'm going to start by turning it over to Mark to share how he was diagnosed with hepatitis B.
1: I think it, uh, from what I recall, it was about uh, a year before I was diagnosed with Hep B. I think I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, surprisingly, for the first time. And as as my for my treatment for that, I was put onto hydroxychloroquine and methotrexate. Um, and also about a year after that uh, in my life, it was a, quite a stressful period. I'd, just had a, a new son, I was changing jobs and I bought uh, and I, I just bought a new house for the first time so I was feeling quite stressed and very under the weather um, but so much so that I started to feel very unwell and my partner said oh you look you look very yellow perhaps you should go to the doctor and see if there's anything else wrong with you. Uh, I thought at the time I was trying to put it off just thinking it was stress and it was the methotrexate because that tended to make me feel unwell. But I went to the doctor anyway and I had a blood test and then he immediately said, oh, you, you need to go, I think he said, you need to go to A&E. Um, and I went, went to AE and and then I had further tests there. Um, and uh, the result of that is when I uh, first found out I had Hep B. I,
2: I saw Mark after he'd been seen by the accident and emergency doctors, who found him to have deranged liver function tests, quite a severe derangement of the uh, liver was found. He had marked increases in his serum aminotransferases, but critically, they also found him to be hbs positive, which by definition established that he either had acute or chronic hepatitis B, and they referred him to the hepatology service, which is when I saw him. What gives a very good history I, I understand, Mark, that you also had received injections of cortisone for your rheumatoid arthritis in addition to the methotrexate. You may not recall that, but in your history there was a history of receiving cortisone, which could be very significant in in your history.
1: Yes, I, I do remember that actually. Um, I, it wasn't it wasn't regular, but I, I used to have it. I, I think every few months and it felt to me like some kind of booster to assist the other medication I was on.
2: And so, Mark, you were completely unaware that you had hepatitis B, or you had visited previously a sexual health clinic, and there'd been some intimation given to you that you'd had hepatitis B in the past. Can we clarify that?
1: Well, uh, I'd always had a uh, regular sexual health screenings um, as an adult, um, particularly before embarking with a new partner. And with my uh, current partner, because uh, uh, after, you know, it was a big surprise to be diagnosed with Hep B. And I, we, I discussed the sexual health check that I had before um, getting with my current partner. And she seemed to recall that I had uh, something in my notes about some kind of exposure to Hep B but it wasn't for whatever reason it didn't seem to to alarm me or her and it seemed like and it's hard hard to remember it's kind of lost in memory but it seemed like I was exposed but I didn't have it was the the feeling and which is why we felt safe to obviously have a relationship uh, and and also have a son you know and uh, uh, unfortunately neither of them have it. uh,
2: so you're raising a, a very important point. I, and I, I guess because of privacy reasons, we couldn't access your previous uh, record. Did they indicate to you whether you had hepatitis B surface antigen or whether you had antibody to hepatitis B, whether you had a particular antibody to hepatitis B such as anti-HBC, or you weren't given that level of knowledge and understanding at the
1: time? Well, I, I definitely didn't have a deep uh, level of understanding otherwise I would have obviously had further taken further action from what from what I recall it was just a it was some some kind of it felt like some kind of minor note that required no further action on my part it was just a, a, a thing to to look at.
2: So again I think you touch on a very important point where sometimes we don't share this information between disciplines when the rheumatologist saw you and you were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis did they uh, ask questions about previous hepatitis B, given that you had been born in a country where the disease is prevalent, it's an endemic area? Did they ask about previous hepatitis B or current hepatitis B before prescribing medication? Uh,
1: I don't believe so. I, I'm, I guess they would have had access to my medical notes and know, and know that I was born in the Philippines, but I don't remember any direct questions. Actually, well, there may there may have been a questionnaire, direct questions about do you have any of these conditions, but I wouldn't have ticked yes um, for hep B at the time because I hadn't been diagnosed yet. And like I say, with my sexual health screenings, there was, a, it, from what I recall, some kind of note that I had been exposed but didn't necessarily have it, is how I seem to remember it.
2: So what Mark is, is discussing, and it's very important, important from the point of view of this podcast, we do need to raise awareness amongst various disciplines like the hematologists, but increasingly rheumatologists and dermatologists who now are prescribing a whole host of immunosuppressive and disease-modifying agents which have been associated with reactivation of hepatitis B. And in a nutshell, the protocol that's required of those individuals is to test for hepatitis B, but to be clear to test for HBS AG, anti-HBS, anti-HBC, and in an individual who has just an isolated anti-HBC, who's HBsAg negative, anti-HBS negative, it's also important to at least refer or test for a hepatitis B DNA, so a full spectrum of the serologic markers of hepatitis B is required before starting chemotherapy and before starting agents such as anti-TNF agents or methotrexate or cortisone in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So when you were referred to us, Mark, you were HBSAG positive, and the first hepatologist who saw you actually recommended a liver biopsy. do do you recall the discussion around the necessity for the biopsy, the indication for the biopsy, the risks, the discomforts of the liver biopsy?
1: Yeah, it was was explained to me. Um, I think it was, I I, I think from what I recall, because I had been unaware of having it, I think a, a thorough inspection of the condition of my liver was wanted because, you know, it was unknown for how long I'd had it. Um, I found it, I was quite apprehensive about the idea of a biopsy. I didn't really know what a biopsy was. It just sounded like a scary word. Um, But in the end, I'm obviously glad I had it.
2: Was it painful? Did you have any discomfort?
1: Uh, you know, surprisingly, it was more discomfort than pain. Well, or maybe not surprisingly, <laughs> because it it shouldn't be painful. The, the worst thing about it, which is, is what I've told, I've discussed with other people who've had biopsies that I know, is was basically the lying on the side for hours afterwards, which was I was unprepared for. So I, I I didn't bring a book with me, which might have been useful.
2: Well, that's interesting. Increasingly, we're using. Uh, where we can, non-invasive markers to try and assess the stage of fibrosis or scarring in patients with chronic hepatitis B. But in your case, the biopsy was clinically actually very useful because there must have been a consideration of whether you had de novo acute hepatitis B out the blue, or whether this was possibly either an exacerbation of existing hepatitis B or even a reactivation of hepatitis B, and we'll we'll come to the point about reactivation. But the liver biopsy showed that you had a moderately active hepatitis. In technical terms, you had confluent focal bridging and altered lobular configuration on histological examination. And there was also some established fibrosis. So that wouldn't happen with the very recent onset acute hepatitis B that suggests that you'd had chronic hepatitis B in the past and we'll come back to the interpretation of the markers you might or might not have had, but it was quite severe as well. You had uh, areas of collapse in the liver with septal fibrosis, but the appearances were certainly those of a chronic hepatitis B, which was uh, showing a great deal of activity and considerable necroinflammatory change. So that helped us a lot in actual fact, the biopsy was useful. So somewhere, somehow, you'd had chronic hepatitis B as evidenced by the liver biopsy, but you may have cleared HBSAG or there may have been a variant of HBSAG which didn't test positive. And we call that occult hepatitis B, and the test to do in the rheumatology and hematology and dermatology clinics before risk drugs are prescribed would be a test for hepatitis B DNA. But what your picture may have shown is reactivation in someone who was HBSAG negative, who had ostensibly resolved their hepatitis B, but clearly had a period of chronic hepatitis B. The other interpretation, of course, is that you were HBSAG positive and they, you were not given that information, but I can't be sure without seeing the serologic pattern. Nonetheless, what happened
1: next? Oh, so well, after that, um, I was put on uh, tenofovir, um, uh, and uh, I continued to take my rheumatology medication, which was the hydroxychloroquine and uh, methotrexate.
2: Was, was it explained to you when you were first seen what the indication for the tenofovir was? Why you were going to be given antiviral treatment? How long this would be? Would it be possible to stop the tenofovir? What did we expect to find on tenofovir treatment? What explanations were you given at the time that you were started tenofovir? Uh,
1: so, forgive me if I if I get the uh, the terms wrong, but uh, it was the tenofovir was to try reduce uh, the viral load I had, um, and uh, as I recall, uh, the test showed that I had a, a certain level of that in me. Um, and the tenofovir was to reduce that. And I, I think you explained, or or was it the previous, um, your, your previous colleague said to me that, uh, you know, explained to me that it would be a, a long-term medication. It wasn't something that was just going to clear it out of my system and then I could get back to normal.
2: Yes, indeed. So, when we saw you, your serum aminotransferase had risen to quite high levels. They were 1,600 at one point. They were slightly reduced when I saw you, but your hepatitis B DNA concentration was around 466,000. You were hepatitis B, E antigen negative, anti-E positive. And those parameters taken together with your liver biopsy in someone who had ostensibly probably reactivated but may have exacerbated chronic hepatitis B was a clear-cut indication for treatment. In fact, the picture was of some concern given that there was some uh, confluent necrosis and even collapse uh, microscopically in some sections of the liver. Have you tolerated the treatment since it was started?
1: Yes. I uh, didn't have any side effects uh, it was quite easy to incorporate into my life because i was already taking uh, a lot of daily medication and i've always taken vitamins as well so it didn't mean a, a, a habit change or life change to me the, the only thing which has changed medication wise is i found i couldn't get on with methotrexate so i asked my rheumatologist to come off that unfortunately i haven't been managed to i've been managing to uh keep on top of my um, arthritis with just the hydroxychloroquine.
2: I suspect it was possibly the combination of methotrexate together with the cortisone injections, which led to the reactivation of hepatitis B in your case. You've done very well on the tenofovir. Your transaminases have normalized. The ALT was 36 when recently measured. The AST was 38 Hepatitis B DNA concentrations have become undetectable. So you're fully suppressed on tenofovir. But your quantitative levels of HBSAG still remain high. The last reading I've got was 9,651. So there's no immediate prospect that this severe flare is going to result in HBSAG loss, which does happen in some patients. We need to keep going with, with the tenofovir for the time being. um, But you're having a very favorable response, and I'm pleased that the rheumatoid arthritis hasn't become worse, but should you need more potent disease-modifying agents, there would be scope for them on the tenofovir. Yes. You've also had a fibrous scan. You may ask, uh, why didn't we do a fibroscan scan at the beginning? Trouble with doing a fibroscan scan when someone's amino transferases are very high, 1,600 and later close to 800, you can get spurious readings. They'll push up the fibrous scan reading. So we needed to do it when the serum amino transferases had stabilized, which yours did. And we've got readings of 5.6, which is probably in keeping with the amount of fibrosis that we saw uh, on the liver biopsy. So what questions do you have at the moment uh, regarding your ongoing treatment, uh, the prognosis? Uh, what else does do we need to be doing?
1: Well, um, well, I'm I'm very pleased obviously with the treatment that I've been receiving. Um, I feel much healthier than I did in, on that day when I went into A&E. And it seems to be, everything seems to be managed and in combination with my arthritis being managed well I feel pretty good on a day-to-day basis I mean ideally I'd love it if I you know, like anyone if I didn't have to take any medication because it just means like when you go on holiday or if you take trips away you just have to remember to pack everything and you know, and in that is is things to take care of your health but uh, I guess that's just a part of getting older um the uh, what you know I, I'm always curious about uh, developments uh towards a cure in this field. And I I know every time I come in to see you, I I ask, is is there any new news? But I know these are long processes which require lots of trials.
2: There's certainly progress in the field, and it's a fair question to ask. I mean, one question is, could we simply stop the tenofovir? And there is a move to do that. What happens when some patients who are HPEAG negative have been fully suppressed for a long period of time, at least three years, on drugs like tenofovir, stop tenofovir or entecavir. Some of those patients have a very brief and transient flare in their hepatitis B, but then have a good outcome and go on to actually lose HBsAg. However, it's somewhat unpredictable. I think the the, rates of HBSAG loss are really only around eight to ten percent and they are higher in caucasian patients than they are in asian patients where they seem to be quite low you need a very careful protocol for following those patients so i don't think it's the right thing to do in your case moreover as i said your levels of HBSAG are high they are almost ten thousand And the best results have been seen in patients who have very low HBSEG results, typically less than 1,000 and even lower, less than 100. So, I don't think that we should. What other additive treatments? The field is on fire at the moment. Large numbers of compounds are being tested. Typically, like you, in patients who are receiving a nucleoside analogue, tenofovir and tecavir, adding on new virus assembly modulators known as capsid inhibitors or using RNA interference to try and knock down that HBsAg with compounds that bind to the hepatitis B RNA and inhibit translation and some of these results will be made public in phase 2b trials towards the end of the year the results are interesting and I do think they're taking the field forward it's certainly possible with RNA interference to lower levels of hepatitis B, and that may allow the immune system to see the virus and not be uh, overcome by exhaustion, having to deal with very high levels. And I'm sure in your lifetime, you'll be a candidate for these trials and maybe even a candidate for new curative therapies. This is going to occur, but it's a painstaking process, and we need to proceed carefully for reasons of safety. But the field is moving.
1: One, one question I have on the kind of taking tenofovir for the, on, a, on a long-term basis is are there any known um, side effects? For example, uh, on hydroxychloroquine, I know that it can possibly affect my eyesight uh, if taken for, for a long time.
2: That's a key question. So, as patients get older, we need to monitor renal function on tenofovir very carefully, and we need to monitor bone mineral density because studies have shown that Particularly in older patients, patients getting into their 50s and 60s, there can be some loss of uh, bone mineral density and some slight impairment in renal function. So those have been very carefully monitored in your case.
1: With the bone mineral density, is that something I can take precautionary measures against, like do more exercise or eat a certain diet?
2: Yes, we should get a baseline if we haven't already. You need a DEXA scan to establish a baseline and that should be done in the clinic. And then we should do that uh, at regular intervals. But I agree with you, a weight-bearing exercise is important. I think the risk is going to be lower in males than it is in females. But nonetheless, uh, it is a risk. We do need to do the DEXA scan and we do need to encourage the weight-based exercise. There are also other drugs which might, be useful and uh, there are guidelines to suggest switching from tenofovir either to entecavir or to tenofovir aliphenamide in patients who show a renal impairment or show some change in their, their bone density. So this is something that we do need to monitor carefully going forward. Right. Well, to close, thank you very much again, Mark, for giving us these insights, I I think it's all important to see how the the patient saw it. You've raised a number of questions about interactions between multidisciplinary teams where we sometimes fall short. We need to share this information. We need to have good protocols for patients with rheumatoid arthritis and other conditions, uh, for example, solid tumors or hematologic malignancies where they're the physician knows to test for the requisite set of hepatitis B markers, HBsAg, anti-HBS, anti-HBC, and if necessary, hepatitis B DNA before starting treatments. To have a shared care protocol between infectious disease physicians or hepatologists in order that we can decide who should receive antiviral treatment. We need to weigh up the markers. It looks as though for hbs AG positive patients, the arguments are fairly clear cut. Patients receiving chemotherapy or immunosuppressive therapy must receive antiviral prophylaxis. It's a lot less certain for the anti-core positive patients, which may have been your case. There, I think we need factors such as hepatitis B DNA, and we need some indication of the anti-HBS titers because the risk is probably greater in anti-core positive individuals who do not have anti-HBS and who have detectable hepatitis B DNA. And then there's a choice between either monitoring patients or preemptive antiviral therapy. In your case, we were forced to give antiviral therapy because you had clearly reactivated hepatitis B. And I think your history is very important. We do need to raise awareness of this pattern uh, and the indications for prophylaxis in, in patients such as yourself. Thank you again.
1: And thank you, obviously, for, for your care. Um, I was very sick when I saw you, and I'm a much happier person now. And I always love coming in to see you and uh, uh, and hearing uh, yeah, yeah, the, the latest developments. And um, thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you again, Mark, for sharing your story, and Dr. DeShako for participating in this discussion. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. As a reminder, if you would like to view short presentations on additional topics related to the care of hepatitis B, I invite you to visit the Clinical Care Options website by clicking on the link in the show notes. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thanks.